0: This is The Conspiracy Guy. During an interview with Megyn Kelly, Putin not only dismissed U.S. claims about Trump and Russia acting in collusion, describing that theme as a load of nonsense, which anyone who has been following this program knows very, very well, but also suggested that the deep state took out John F. Kennedy, which is stunning indeed. Here's part of the story from the Associated Press. Russian President Vladimir Putin is dismissing as, quote, a load of nonsense, I think there's a stronger term he could have used, the idea that Russia has damaging information on President Trump and denies having any relationship with him. I've never met with him. We have a lot of Americans who visit us, Putin said in an interview with NBC Saturday night with Megyn Kelly. Do you think we're gathering compromising information on all of them right now or something? Are you all? Have you lost your senses over there? To which I believe the answer is uh, emphatically yes, at least as it's portrayed by the mainstream media, which has become a massive propaganda machine. Putin again denied any Russian involvement in the US presidential election and any knowledge of Russian contacts with the Trump campaign. Uh, Special counsel appointed by the Department of Justice and Congressional committees, of course, are investigating. Former FBI Director James Comey, whom Trump fired after allegedly asking him to drop an investigation into former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and his Russian contacts, is scheduled to testify tomorrow, Thursday, before the Senate Intelligence Committee. In the NBC interview, Putin was asked about reports of Trump advisor and son-in-law Jared Kushner's attempt to set up a secret communications channel with Russia. Putin said he knew nothing about it, that he had not discussed with Ambassador Sergei Kislak any meeting with Kushner. There weren't even any reports. There's nothing to talk about. There wasn't even any kind of specific discussion about sanctions or anything else. For me, this is just amazing. You create a sensation out of nothing. But it's even worse than that, of course, because as I have previously noted, if in fact Kushner was trying to work up back-channel communications, that would imply it was necessary because there were no direct communications, which of course would have been apparent a necessity if there would actually been any collusion. Putin suggested that skilled hackers anywhere, including the U.S., could shift blame for hacking onto Russia. He also alleged that the U.S. actively interferes with electoral campaigns in other countries. Put your finger anywhere on a map of the world and everywhere you'll hear complaints that American officials are interfering in internal electoral processes, he said. Very, very appropriate, especially given Roger Stone's recent article, The CIA's Legacy of Lies, in which he enumerated a some 80 countries in which coups had been affected by the United States. The first of which of course was in 1953 in Iran, where its democratically elected government was toppled and replaced by a western puppet, the Shah. As far as findings of U.S. intelligence agencies, Putin said they have been misled. He said he had yet to see any evidence of Russian meddling and drew a connection between the allegations against Russia and the theory that U.S. intelligence agencies arranged the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. If this theory is correct, and that can't be ruled out, then what could be easier in this day and age than using all the technical means at the disposal of the intelligence services and using those means to organize some attacks and then pointing the finger at Russia? Very appropriate observations, which I find fascinating, coming in between the Memorial Day event, jfkbirthday.com, which featured 10 speakers, including Judith Very Baker, John Barber, Gary Fannin, Ed Haslam, William Matson Law, Wayne Matson, Barr McClellan, Larry Rivera, Roger Stone, and me. And the publication yesterday, literally in print yesterday, of JFK Who, How, and Why, solving the world's greatest murder mystery with 15 contributors, about which you will learn more. At the break. In addition, we have a fascinating development in the Middle East, where the Donald appears to be siding with uh, against the Qatar uh, again in relation to a crisis in, in the Middle East, where the latest report has it. President Donald Trump injected the United States into a volatile crisis among America's Mideast allies, siding Tuesday with Saudi Arabia and other countries against Qatar in a dispute that threatens to disrupt efforts to defeat the Islamic State and counter Iran. In a series of early morning tweets, Trump appeared to endorse the accusation that the small gas-rich kingdom funds terrorist groups a serious allegation against a strategic U.S. partner that hosts a base with some 10,000 American troops. He also sought to cast the anti-Qatar action led by the Saudis and the United Arab Emirates as a result of his trip last month to Rihad, where he pressed leaders from dozens of Arab and Muslim governments, including Qatar's Emir, to combat extremism. Trump said he told the king's president and prime ministers that funding Radical ideology can't be tolerated and leaders pointed to Qatar. Look, they said they would take a hard line on funding extremism and all reference was pointing to Qatar. Perhaps this will be the beginning of the end to the horror of terrorism, Trump said on Twitter, claiming his visit to Saudi Arabia was already paying off. But this is embarrassing in many different ways, Saudi Arabia and Israel have been funding ISIS right along. It was created by the United States. I don't believe the Donald is going to win a lot of friends and allies by way of this gross hypocrisy. But Wayne Madsen suggests that the situation is a bit more complex in his report from June 7, 8, 2017. Adelson, Israel, behind Gulf state split. Part of his report? Casino magnate Sheldon Adelson, and in Israeli interests he funds her behind a series of computer hacking incidents that have resulted in a serious split between Qatar, the home of the U.S. Central Command's massive al Udeid airbase, and a block of Qatar's erstwhile Gulf Cooperative Council GCC allies that include Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain. WMR has learned from unimpeachable intelligence sources who monitor Adelson's worldwide activities at the casino tycoon, has used the neoconservative and Washington-based foundation for the defense of democracies in like-minded groups, all with close propaganda links to the Israeli government, to spread falsehoods attributed to the emir of Qatar and the UAE government. The reason for the propaganda operation is to drive a wedge between Arab states that take a strong stand against Iran and those who maintain cordial ties. What has led to the crucial divide between Qatar and its Arab neighbors are two hacking incidents. One was the hacking of the Qatar news agency website and the insertion of a fake news story reporting that Qatar's emir Sheikh Taman Big Hamad al-Tani told a group of Qataris in a speech that, quote, there is no wisdom in harboring hostility toward Iran. Sheikh Tamim also reportedly had kind words for both Hamas and Lebanon's Hezbollah. Although Qatar insisted the story was a fabrication, Saudi Arabia led a group of GCC partners, including Bahrain and the UAE, as well as Egypt, Maldives, Mauritania, and the Saudi finance puppet regime in eastern Libya, and the Yemeni government in exile in Saudi Arabia to severed sever diplomatic transportation, commercial, and military ties with Qatar. Jordan also downgraded its diplomatic ties. The second phase is the release of emails uh, allegedly hacked from the Hotmail account of the UAE ambassador to the United States, Yusuf al Otaib. An initial tr- tr- tranche of the emails were released by a previously unknown group called Global Leaks, which was neither connected to WikiLeaks or an Italian software company called Global Leaks. <coughs> Otaba's alleged emails, which spanned a time period from 2014 to this year, claim that Otaba participated in back-channel relationship between the UAE and Israel facilitated by the FDD. The emails also purport to show that Otaba participated in an Adelson FDD operation to tarnish both Qatar and Kuwait as sponsors of terrorism and that this effort involved not only UAE but Saudi Arabia. He also observes Adelson, who was a multi-million dollar donor to Donald Trump's presidential campaign, sees the presence of Trump, his Orthodox Jewish daughter Ivanka Trump and son-in-law Jared Kushner in the White House hierarchy, as a rare opportunity to squeeze Qatar over its relations with Iran and disrupt Al Jazeera. Trump did not disappoint Adelson or the Saudis. On the morning of June 6, Trump tweeted, During my recent trip to the Middle East, I stated there can no longer be funding of radical ideology. Leaders pointed to Qatar. Look! Against the wishes of his own Defense Department and National Security Advisor, Trump decided to weigh into the Gulf-Arab split engineered by right-wing Jewish hacking efforts to declare support for Saudi Arabia and its allies, placing the al udid Air Base in jeopardy. But there's a further complication here because Anonymous has uploaded Arab Nations Break Ties with Qatar after a $150 million contract offered to take out Trump. Check it out. You can find it online. Anonymous, Arab Nations Break Ties with Qatar, after a $150 million contract to take out Trump, which obviously suggests the situation may be far more complex than it's being portrayed in the mainstream media here in the USA. Nothing surprising there. More to come. Meanwhile, in Europe, we have yet another of these uh, phony attacks. Notre Dame hammer attack suspect yelled, this is for Syria. Terror investigation launched. The hammer-wielding man had two kitchen knives and other unsophisticated weapons with him before charging toward officers patrolling the esplanade in front of the Cathedral of Notre Dame. Here we have some additional reports. He shouted, this is for Syria as he attacked the officer at the tourist hotspot, claimed to be an ISIS soldier just yesterday the terrorist group called on its militants to carry out more attacks on cities, the cities of Nice and Paris. Paris prosecutors opened a counterterrorism investigation soon after the attack, which occurred at 4.30 p.m. Uh, we, we have a, a lot going on here where <coughs> Scott Alexander, who's a 25-year police officer, 15 years of which is a general detective, has noticed from the scene that there's a truck with the name TEMIS, T-E-M-I-S on it. He was unfamiliar with a company, some kind of logistics company specializing in data management. He discovered the following. TEMIS Innovative Solutions have attracted the leading business organizations, uh, such as American Association for the Advancement of Science, Agency France Press, Francais Press, uh, Europol, French Ministry of Defense, French Minister, Ministry of Finance, which makes this look very, very much as though it's one more in a long-going series of, of phony or fabricated events. <clears throat> After the London attack, Prime Minister says enough is enough. Declaring enough is enough, Prime Minister Theresa May vowed on set Sunday to conduct a sweeping review of Britain's counterterrorism strategy after three knife-wielding assailants unleashed in a Salt Lake Saturday night, the third major terrorist attack in the country in three months, London Bridge, van mows down pedestrians, stabbing at nearby, nearby cafe, witnesses say, boy, that sounds serious. <clears throat> and here we have from Gabby Hinsliff, Manchester conspiracy theories reflect the price we pay for social media. Play the footage of the 1969 moon landings back slowly and for a split second. You see a gray blur at the top of the picture. That's a cameraman sound beam accidentally strained into shot, proving beyond doubt the whole thing was really filmed at Pinewood Studios. We never went to the moon. But for a rookie error that somehow got past the editing suite, we, we never have known. Or so my friend's grandfather steadfastly maintained, which we as kids obviously found hilarious. But conspiracy theories are no longer so funny or so innocent. But she's even ignorant about the moon landing. There's a vast amount of proof the whole thing was faked. When I was in in London, actually, with my wife staying at the Morgan Hotel uh, 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 on Bloomsbury Street, I turned on the TV and on one of the BBC channels, I was captivated to discover conspiracy theory, did we land on the moon, which presents scientific proof after scientific proof including indications that the so-called astronauts were actually on wires to make their efforts look more moon-like in the in the gravitational field, one-sixth that of Earth. Uh, we know we have moon rover photographs with no tracks in front, in the middle, or behind. We also have imprints in the dust. Frankly, I believe that moon dust would be like sand and that it couldn't leave any imprints. But if that's the case, then, the, then the, the moon book boot, boot print uh, is devastating to the claim we went. And if it does leave tracks, then the moon rover with no tracks in front, behind, or, or, or indicates that it was lowered by a crane, not actually present. We have photo after photo with intersecting shadows indicating more than one source of light. We have... Uh, Uh, reflections that ought not to be present. We have an illuminated dark side of a moon lander which should be in darkness. Uh, uh, A close friend and colleague from JFK Research, Jack White, who also has done a tremendous amount of research on on the moon landings, uh, divided the total number of photographs purportedly taken on the moon by the number of minutes astronauts were present and discovered the According to the official data, they were taking a photograph every 52 seconds. Now, it's astonishing, too, that every one of those photographs is nicely framed and centered because uh, uh, the cameras were mounted external, external to the suits and couldn't even be focused. Uh, uh, Not only that, but I doubt very much that photography would have been possible on the moon at all because uh, cosmic rays would have interfered with the photographic plates. Dennis Camino and I have done several interviews about the great moon landing hoax you can find on YouTube, including we didn't have the propulsion power to get out of low earth orbit, that we didn't have the computer capacity to handle it. In fact, the computer drawing through the Apollo missions is a joke. It's not even an operating computer and where we could have never overcome the Van Allen radiation belt, making Gabby Hinsliff a rather feeble excuse to attempt to dismiss conspiracy theories. But there's much more here. We have photographs from Manchester where a year before crisis actors rehearse a terrorist attack in, in a lobby. there's a guy dressed in an ISIS suit, he drops a flashbang grenade. It's so innocuous it doesn't harm him, even though he's only a few feet away. It's the same sound as the one we heard at the uh, Adriana Grande concert. Adriana has expressed many profoundly anti-American sympathies. You can find a photograph with her wiping her derriere with an American flag while giving the finger to the camera. I have no doubt she would have been willing, after her performance was over, to have this minor event take place, it could be translated for propagandistic purposes. Here's, here, here, here is more. In, in, in the, the London terror attack now, London Bridge, the terrorists wore fake suicide vests, police say. Six people have died, at least 20 have been injured in a terrorist attack in London Bridge and Borough Market in the capital but they were wearing fake suicide vests. I mean, how much proof do we know the whole thing's phony? Here's another. London suspect appeared in UK documentary has links to MI5, not reported by the mainstream media. Karam Shazaz-Bot appeared in a Channel 4 documentary that aired in January 2016. YouTube, one of the London Bridge attackers recently identified by police, appeared in the documentary called The Jihadist Next Door, police were reportedly alerted after he was filmed praying to an Islamic State flag and attempting to recruit children at a local park. He has ties to MI5. Here I'm looking at a photograph taken on Westminster Bridge where a bus is apparently rode o- ridden over a person, except it reinflates because it's a mannequin. The mention of Nice is nice. Because they used mannequins in Nice as well. A bus that allegedly mowed down some 84 uh, victims. Had no blood on the cover on its front. I mean, look at a a car that hit a single deer. Blood all over the place. I'm looking at photos of mannequins from that event as well. Not only that, but in the London Bridge hoax, we have video of the police cop with her pants down changing behind some vans. Uh, they're playing the role of crisis actors. Check it out yourself. Police caught staging London Bridge Hoax. Check update in description. It's online. Making all the more timely, the new book by Nick Collerstrom, Chronicles of False Flag Terror, a European perspective on state-fabricated terrorism. More than a dozen staged attacks, including the Bologna Railway Station 1980, the Israeli London Embassy 1994, Trains in Madrid 2004, Explosions in London 2005, Heathrow Airport 2006, Amsterdam Airport Crotch Bomber 2009, Oslo Beverick, Terror Attack 2011, Drummer Lee Rigby 2013, Ukraine MH17 Shootdown 2014, Bataclan Theater 2015, Brussels 2016, Nice 2016, Munich 2016, Frankly these are Theresa May campaign commercials in the UK. She was falling like a stone. They had to do something to stem it. They began perpetrating these fake terrorist events in the hope that she might (coughs) regain momentum. And now we have Ariana Grande (coughs) giving a concert to raise money for the victims of the attack. Well they got over 13 million this is completely reminiscent of what happened at Sandy Hook where no children died the school had been closed by 2008 there were no children there but where the <coughs> the, the victims the, the pur- purported survivors families of the victims of the 20 children and six adults split between 27 and 130 million dollars that's over a million dollars per family in addition the school board for Newtown uh, was given $50 million for a new school building where the old was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards damaged by hurricane. They'd actually abandoned it because it would have been too expensive to make it compliant with American for Disability Act requirements. You can confirm this for yourself. Look at an aerial, any aerial photograph of the Sandy Hook parking lot. You'll see there's none of the blue and white uh, familiar parking for handicap, none of the blue and white signage, you got, you got exits and entrances that are not wheelchair-accessible, wooden, no wheelchair could navigate. Uh, it could not have been legally operating in 2012. And people ask, you know, they still believe this nonsense, complete nonsense. We have a very interesting article, a commentary, Conspiracy Theories on the Death of a Democratic National Committee staffer by a fellow named uh, Wayne Allen uh, Root. Uh, who writes our country has become a banana republic anything minor trump does is leaked a crime taken out of context hyped through the roof and then turned into hysterical headlines by the media but if democrats conspire to fix an election and a democratic national committee staffer winds up killed you're nothing about it in the mainstream media we're not talking about a conversation here we're talking about a real life murder it may be an ordinary street murder by thugs but just the idea that could be attached in any way to the DNC makes it off-limits to discuss. It's verboten. We see a total mainstream media blackout. But let's put the shoe on the other foot and see what the media would say. What if a Republican National Committee staffer was murdered in the streets of Washington, D.C. on July 10, 2016? What if WikiLeaks publicly stated this RNC staffer leaked the 44,000 emails that showed Donald Trump and The RNC chairman, Rens Priebus, conspired to fix a GOP presidential primary and cheated Jeb Bush out of victory. What if those emails proved a former RNC chairman now working for CNN cheated and gave debate questions in advance to Donald Trump so he would always have the perfect answer? What if Trump and the RNC chairman were badly embarrassed by this leak of sensitive private information and Trump's chances of being elected president were damaged? and the RNC chairman wound up fired because of this leak? What if the cold-blooded killing of this RNC staffer looked more like an assassination, where the killer is never even attempting to grab his wallet, cash, watch, or jewelry? What if WikiLeaks offered a $20,000 reward for information on the murder of this staffer, yet no reward was ever put up by the Trump campaign or the RNC? What if the former chairman of the RNC called the police demanding to know why, a private eye was snooping around in the case. What if the former chairman of the RNC threatened the D.C. police chief for gathering evidence on his computers that held confidential RNC information? Well, don't look now, but all this happened to DNC staffer Seth Rich, the Hillary Clinton campaign, DNC chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz, former DNC chair Donna Brazil, yet the media doesn't care. They won't investigate. They won't even mention the murder. If, in fact, murdered DNC staffer Seth Rich is the one who embarrassed Hillary and Wasserman and the entire DNC by leaking all these sensitive documents, then the entire Russian hacking story is a lie. If the story is proven true, then Russia didn't hack the DNC. Seth Rich did. And we know, of course, that's exactly right. Leaked classified FBI memos show Seth Rich had DNC emails on his laptop. Hints at WikiLeaks ties. We know the whole Russian hacking meme was made up by John Podesta and Robbie Mook within 24 hours of Hillary's concession speech. Read the book, Shattered, inside the uh, Hillary Clinton's doomed presidential campaign. It's all spelled out there, but you're not hearing it from the mainstream media. Not only that, but we have a report from a fourth-year surgery resident at Washington Hospital Center, uh, who explained that he was shot twice, three total gunshot wounds, taken to the OR, performed an X lap. He was packed, he looked good, with kind of, uh, uh, he didn't have any major vascular injuries otherwise. I've seen dozens of work cases when, when, than this, which survived, and nothing about his injury suggested to me he sustained a fatal wound. In the meantime, he was transferred to the ICU and transfused two units of blood when his post-surgery crit came back at about 20. He was stable, not on any pressers. It looked pretty routine. About eight hours after he arrived, we were swarmed by LEOs, law enforcement officers, and pretty much everyone except the attending and a few nurses was kicked out of the ICU, disallowing visiting hours, not something we do routinely. It was weird as hell. At turnover that morning, we were instructed not to round on the VIP who came in last night. That's exactly what the attending said, and no one except for me and another resident had any idea what he was talking about. No one here was allowed to see Seth Rich except for my attending when he died. No code was called. I rounded on patients literally next door, but was physically blocked from checking in on him. I've never seen anything like it before. And while I can't say 100% he was allowed to die, I don't understand why he was treated like that. Take it how you may, I'm just one low-level doc. Something's fishy here, though, that's for sure. Well, get this. Turns out that John Podesta's ex-sister-in-law is on the D.C. Police Foundation board, where the D.C. police have refused to investigate the crime. They haven't even investigated Comet Ping-Pong or Besta Pizza, and it appears to be because the chief of police was deeply involved in Pizzagate, what looks like a coincidence is the fact that John Podesta's ex-sister-in-law is on the D.C. Police Foundation board. Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman, John Podesta's ex-sister-in-law, Heather Podesta, serves on the board of the Washington D.C. Police Foundation. Heather Podesta serves on the board alongside recent Metropolitan Police Chief Kathy Lanier who served as police chief when DNC staffer and widely reported WikiLeaks source Seth Rich was murdered in July 2016. Lanier stepped down as police chief the next month, no doubt under pressure because she wasn't doing enough to cover it up. Breaking from Dave Hodges, The Common Sense Show. Seth Rich's murder investigation shut down by Wasserman Schultz's brother, who is a federal district attorney for the District of Columbia. In another amazing conflict of interest, Steve Wasserman, a federal district attorney for the District of Columbia, shut down the South Rich murder investigation. That's where things stand in Washington, D.C. I'll be right back. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. 15 experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color at moonrockbooks.com. That's moonrockbooks.com. This is the conspiracy guy. Who is Christopher Wray, Donald Trump picks, new FBI boss? Donald Trump? Said he will nominate Christopher Ray to lead the FBI. Ray led the Enron task force when he was with the Department of Justice. He represented New Jersey Governor Chris Christie during the investigation into the George Washington Bridge lane closing case. Ray was nominated by President George W. Bush as Assistant Attorney General in charge of the Criminal Division, according to the Justice Department. He held that job from 2003 to 2005. Ray, a Yale Law School graduate, served on the President's Corporate Fraud Task Force and oversaw the Enron Task Force and other major fraud investigations, according to the Washington law firm King & Spaulding, where he is a litigation partner. The FBI says the Enron probe was the largest and most complex white-collar investigation in the agency's history. Ray specializes in white-collar law and internal investigations, according to the Justice Department's site. He represented the New Jersey governor in the scandal surrounding the closing of lanes on the George Washington Bridge in 2013 as a way to attack uh, political opponents. Christie was never charged, but two of his allies were convicted. Now, we can maybe expect something good to come from this guy who was unanimously confirmed by, when he was previously Uh, reviewed by the Senate, but you can't count on it. Remember Robert Mueller has received massive praise uh, and yet Robert Mueller became director a week before 9-11, stepped down a little more than five months after the Boston Marathon bombing. The Sandy Hook took place about nine months too before his retirement. All those were elaborate deceptions of the American people. So, if Robert Mueller can't handle, for example, a proper FBI investigation of 9 11, though it may be Bush, like Lyndon, you know, LBJ appointed the, the, Warren commi- the FBI as the sole investigative agency where he and Edgar were in cahoots and taking out JFK and bringing about a coup. So, we'll, we'll have to see what happens here. But don't hold your breath over Robert Mueller. Moreover, we have a lot more scandal emerging. Debbie Wasserman Schultz uses voice changer to call law firm suing DNC, forgets to disable caller ID. There was an hilarious filing with the court today in the lawsuit against the Democratic National Committee, in which Debbie Wasserman Schultz is a defendant. Attorney Elizabeth Lee Beck's office received a call just before 5 p.m. on Thursday. From an individual apparently using a robotic and genderless voice recording device, voice-changing device, sniffing around with questions about the DNC lawsuit filed over cheating in the 2016 election. The suit, based on documents retrieved by hacker Guccifer 2.0, claims that the DNC colluded with Secretary Hillary Clinton's campaign to perpetrate, to perpetrate a fraud on the public. Uh, after a brief chat with the law firm secretary, the mysterious voice-masking caller concluded the call with an okie-dokie. And whose number showed up when the law firm turned around and Googled the number from the caller ID? Why, who else but Debbie Wasserman Schultz at Ventura office. How embarrassing. And, of course, Guccifer is one of the claims, would it appears... Exactly what happened is as I have described it as Seth Rich provided the massive treasure trove for which he paid with his life. Get this. DNC lawsuit attorneys report receiving new ominous phone calls. Social media accounts belonging to attorney Elizabeth Lee Beck recently reported receiving a voice modulated phone call from a number which matched Debbie Wasserman Schultz's office. Earlier today, Beck stated via social media that co-counsel Cullen O'Brien had received threatening anonymous calls. The Becks wrote that the latest call to their co-counsel Cullen O'Brien had referenced Cullen's family and mentioned the recent death of U.S. federal prosecutor Wiesenot, whose body was found on Hollywood Beach, located in the same county as Cullen O'Brien. Disobedient media previously reported that uh, Brandon Whitson's body was found in Debbie Wasserman Schultz, 23rd District in Southern, California, in Southern Florida. And here we have another article about it. Federal prosecutor's dead body discovered on Florida Beach. Lawyer for DNC lawsuits. Very anxious after federal prosecutor found on the beach. Not only was it in Debbie Wasserman Schultz District, but it was near the residence of the judge who's presiding over the case. Some have observed that, you know, they, they, they're killing too many people. I mean, it's just becoming too obvious. This may even have been the observation of Rush Limbaugh, whom I hear intermittently when I have lunch with a friend who's keen on Rush and he has a radio on, and I can't catch bits and snatches. The guy's a very smart guy. WikiLeaks attorney John Jones was run over by a train on April 8, 2016. The coroner publicly stated Jones was not suicidal. Former U.N. President John Ash died on 22 June, two days before he was supposed to testify about Clinton Foundation money laundering. 48-year-old Mike Flynn, an investigative reporter, died June 23rd. This was the same day he published a report about the Clinton Foundation's shady dealings in communist China. 47-year-old Joe Monsano, Tim Kaine's aide and DNC staffer, died of a heart attack the day the DNC convention started as he was packing his bags to leave. Investigative journalist Victor Thorne, who wrote four books on the Clinton crime family, was found shot dead. He stated on talk radio earlier in the year, If I'm ever found dead, it was not suicide. I would never kill myself. Uh, uh, 38-year-old Sean Lucas served the DNC with a lawsuit and then died immediately after he was suing the DNC for stealing the nomination for Bernie Sanders. I mean, it's grotesque. And get this, even Andrea Mitchell has been calling out Hillary Clinton for drawing a conspiracy theory with no evidence. Andrea Mitchell talking about Clinton giving a, a, a talk where she claimed Russians use weaponized information. Andrea Mitchell, she, Hillary, drilled down on the fake news, the role of Infowars, and said it was very clear to her that there were Americans directing and colluding, conspiring, really, with the Russian hackers, with Guccifer, with the others who were involved in the hacking and dropping of WikiLeaks only an hour after the Access Hollywood tape was disclosed, and saying that they were doing so with such political sophistication. She's basically pointing to the Trump campaign, saying that the dots are now being connected in the investigation. She mentioned Jared Kushner. She mentioned Bannon and Kellyanne Conway. She is drawing a conspiracy theory, said Andrea Mitchell. She doesn't have the evidence. Not only that, DNC data director Hillary's claims are effing bull ass. I mean, this is remarkable. The former director of data science at the Democratic National Committee blasted Hillary Clinton on Twitter after she tried to blame the DNC for her electoral defeat. Clinton claimed Wednesday that the DNC fell far behind the RNC in terms of voter and data analysis, saying the DNC's data was mediocre to poor, non-existent wrong. I had to inject money into it, she said. Andrew Thiralt, the former director of data science for the DNC, called those claims Effing bullshit. Effing bullshit. And he's absolutely correct. It was made up. The whole hacking story, the whole idea of her loss was made up. Representative Devin Nunes stepped down as the head of the investigation into the Russian business. Media elites have no interest in Americans being unmasked. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes, Republican of California. On 30, blasted journalists and others who said who who he said have no interest in American civil liberties being violated during surveillance by the intelligence community. Seen a lot of fake news from media elites and others who have no interest in violations of American civil liberties via unmasking. He 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 tweeted. Uh, here we have a new story. Uh, uh, uh. FBI arrests NSA contractor for leaking secrets. Here's how they caught her 25-year-old charge with leaking classified info on Russian hacking to media. Uh, this is another completely nonsensical sequence or situation. Uh, CNN, the Justice Department, announced charges Monday that a federal contractor with a top-secret security clearance uh, 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 after she allegedly leaked classified information to an online media outlet Reality Lee Winner, 25. Get that name. Reality Lee Winner? I mean, this has got to be a joke. A contractor with Pluribus International Corporation on Georgia is accused of removing classified material from a government facility and mailing it to a news outlet according to a federal complaint. CNN is told by sources the document Wiener allegedly leaked is the same one used as the basis for the article published Monday By the Intercept, detailing a classified national security agency memo. The NSA report dated May 5th provides details of 2016 Russian military intelligence cyber attack on U.S. voting software supplier. There's no evidence any votes were affected by the hack, nor is there any reason to believe that this is bona fide. This is ridiculous, completely ridiculous. These agencies spend all their time making up phony and fake documents. They do it all the time. Uh, The CIA made up the the fake uh, Alec Heidel credentials for Lee Oswald to use in New Orleans, for example. Chauncey Marvin Holt, who was a third of the three tramps escorted through Dealey Plaza, whom I got to know personally, was working as a contract agent for the CIA, uh, the Los Angeles Stamp and Stationery Store, when he was directed by his handler, Philip Twombly, to make up 15 sets of Ford Secret Service credentials for use in and around Dealey Plaza. I tell the story many places, but this is ridiculous. They're trying to reinforce the Russian hacking meme. This is, uh, uh, but it's all fraudulent. There was no Russian hacking. Releasing classified material without authorization threatens our nation's security and undermines public faith in government. People who are trusted with classified information and bled to protect it must be held accountable when they violate that obligation. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein said in a statement Monday, Wiener faces up to 10 years in prison for leaking classified information. Wiener's court-appointed attorney Titus Nichols said a detention hearing will take place on Thursday in Augusta where the judge will determine whether to release her on bond. Wiener, winner, it's winner, did not enter a plea on her initial appearance. But you'd think if there actually were such a document that the government would be eager to produce it because it substantiates the Russian hacking meme. Remember, this isn't a new story. In fact, we have an article by a, a Rebecca Solnit the Intercept NSA story is old news more people are now ready to listen to. Yo, people. Part of what is going on with this Intercept thing is that they're recycling old news that more people, starting with the Intercept, are now ready to listen to. The hilarious thing is that the Intercept fellows kept telling us not to believe things from intelligence agencies, but are now building their story on one document from the NSA. I heard this story about hacking voting machines in November, but couldn't get any major media outlets to follow up on it. The stories go all the way back to August. Here's ABC in September on Russian hacking of voter rolls. Here's that New York Times in early October. Uh, something think the intercept just broke. But as profound as that concern is, Mr. Schiff, Adam Schiff, who's clearly a DNC a, a party a spokesman, he and others see as the most grave risk something else. Russia could take emails that already stolen manipulate them to create a false impression that a candidate has done something outrageous or illegal and cause them to be published shortly before the election. That, he said, could have an election-altering effect. That's trying to, you know, strike first before they became released. Get this. Here's a reminder. FBI arrests NSA contractor for leaking secrets, but Hillary Clinton is using Seth Rich's murder to advocate stricter gun controls. When we the people said, lock her up, we weren't asking, we were demanding. Now we have a report from Anonymous, you can find it online. Most secret grand jury in America, in American history, paralyzes Washington with fear. There appears to be a top secret grand jury proceeding into Pizzagate, following up the WikiLeaks revelations, beginning with Anthony Weiner who has apparently turned state's evidence in order to get a lenient sentence which is exactly what you would expect of Anthony Weiner. Check it out. There's a lot going on here. Then we have Hillary Clinton. How I lost by Hillary Clinton, introduced and annotated by Joe Lauria with a forward by Julian Assange. This is fascinating because what uh, Joe Lauria has done is to take a whole lot of emails and put them together with comments, with annotation about how Hillary threw away her campaign, where Assange defends uh, Clinton campaign leaks in the foreword of the new book, a book about Hillary Clinton's presidential run has been promoted by WikiLeaks, thanks in no small part to a foreword by Julian Assange, which he defends publishing leaked Democratic Party campaign material. Mind you, not a single release from WikiLeaks has ever had its authenticity challenged. We, the people, are entitled to know the truth. The mainstream media is not going to provide it. I say thank God for WikiLeaks. Get this too, here's a masterful summary of the Clinton election loss blame game. Here's a list of the parties Hillary is blaming for her loss. The FBI, James Comey, then FBI Director. The Russians, Vladimir Putin, anti-American forces. Low information voters, everyone who assumed she'd win, bad polling numbers, Obama for winning two terms, people wanting change, misogynists, suburban women, the New York Times, television executives, cable news, Netflix, Democrats not making the right documentaries, Facebook, Twitter, WikiLeaks, fake news. Content farms in Macedonia, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, everyone except Hillary Clinton herself, who was a miserable candidate. And I dare say, if they had only allowed the process to work as it should, had they not sabotaged Bernie Sanders' campaign, taking some 13 primaries he had won and giving them to Hillary Clinton instead, we might well have a Democratic President of the United States today, Bernie Sanders for whom I myself would have gladly voted. Get this now. uh, Tomorrow, 50 years later, NSA keeps details of Israel's USS Liberty attack secret. On June 8, 1967, an Israeli torpedo tore through the side of the unarmed American naval vessel USS Liberty, approximately a dozen miles off the Sinai coast. The ship whose crew was under command of the National Security Agency was intercepting communications at the height of the Six-Day War when it came under direct Israeli aerial and naval assault. Reverberations from the torpedo blast sent crewman uh, Ernie Gallo flying across the radio research room where he was stationed. Gallo, a communications technician aboard the Liberty, found himself and his fellow shipmates in the midst of an attack that would leave 34 Americans dead and 171 wounded. This week marks the 50th anniversary of the assault on the USS Liberty. And though it was among the worst attacks in history against a non-combatant U.S. naval vessel, the tragedy remains shrouded in secrecy. The question of if and when Israeli forces became aware they were killing Americans has proven a point of particular contention in the on-again, off-again public debate that has simmered over the last half century. The Navy Court of Inquiry's investigation proceedings following the incident were held in closed sessions, and the survivors who had been on board received gag orders forbidding them to ever talk about what they had endured that day. Well, here are some bare bones about the Liberty incident. The USS Liberty incident was an attack on a United States Navy technical research ship, the USS Liberty, by Israeli Air Force jet fighter aircraft, and Israeli Navy motor torpedo boats on 8 June 1967 during the Six-Day War. The combined air and sea attack killed 34 crew members, naval officers, seamen, two marines, and one civilian, wounded 171 crew members, and severely damaged the ship. At the time, it was in international waters north of the Sinai Peninsula, northwest of the Egyptian city of Arish. Israel apologized for the attack, saying the USS Liberty had been attacked in error after being mistaken for an Egyptian ship. Both the Israeli and U.S. government conducted inquiries and issued reports that conclude the attack was a mistake due to Israeli confusion about the ship's identity, although others, including survivors of the attack, have rejected these conclusions, maintaining that the attack was deliberate. On May 1968, the Israeli government paid U.S. $3.32 million. According, equivalent to 22.9 million in 2016, to the U.S. government in compensation of the families of the 34 men killed in the attack. In March 1969, the Israelis paid a further 3.57 million, 23.3 million in 2016, to the men who had been wounded. In December 1980, it agreed to pay 6 million, 17.4 million in 2016, as the final settlement for material damage to the Liberty itself plus 13 years' interest. Well, uh, on Rentz radio, uh, Dave Gaheri and Phil Torney uh, uh, discussed the Liberty attack, erasing the USS Liberty. I've interviewed Phil Torney. I can tell you it was no mistake. The ship was flying the American flag. I've read the transcripts of the pilots' communication with their own command tower. They uh, they told him it was an American ship. They were directed to attack it. Anyway, this appears to be an indication of... uh, Lyndon Johnson's perfidy to the United States, the liberty was going to be sacrificed, Israel was going to sink it, and they were going to claim it was the Egyptians who had done it to bring the United States into the side of Israel in the Six Days War. The Israelis didn't need any help as it turned out, but Lyndon Johnson even directed the recall of American fighter jets that had been sent to come to the defense of the liberty. Uh, That's the reason you know so little about it, but the 50th anniversary or observance of this vicious attack by Israel or erstwhile ally occurs tomorrow. Here we have Erasing the Liberty, My Battle to Keep Alive, The Memory of Israel's Attack on the USS Liberty by Philip F. Torney, author of What I Saw That Day. Get the book that tells the whole story about the attack on the USS Liberty this is a book dedicated to my fallen shipmates and to all patriotic Americans who, when they read it, will come away shocked and dismayed as to how the U.S. government lied to the American people about the cold-blooded murder of Americans on the high seas, a cover-up perpetrated not just by them, but by the government of Israel as well, Phil Torney, go to uh, EraseTheLiberty.com, erasing, erasing, meaning erasing from memory, erasing from history, erasing the ErasingTheLiberty.com, which is also going to be made into, uh, into uh, a film. And I mentioned in addition to Erasing the Liberty, Remember the Liberty, Almost Sunk by Treason on the High Seas, a second book I welcome by Philip F. Nelson. And other co-authors in the annals of U.S. military history, there are no doubt many unsolved and perplexing mysteries, but few could compare with the fate of the U.S. Navy spy ship that was mercilessly attacked by one of its closest allies intentionally and without warning. One of the reasons it is still a mystery is because it's also the only peacetime attack on a U.S. naval vessel that to this day has never been investigated by the Congress of the United States. That Remember the Liberty, available at Amazon.com. Er- go to ErasingTheLiberty.com for more on the other book. Further, in relation to the, the attack on uh, you know, demonizing Iran and trying to make it out to be responsible for 9-11, I'm simply appalled. Eric Zeus, as I have previously mentioned, has published a brilliant article on Iran and the 9-11 attacks. The official U.S. government al- 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 line now is that Iran is the main country responsible for the 9-11 attacks in America. On 9 March 2016, a U.S. civil court ruled that Iran had to pay some victims of the 9-11 attack $10.5 billion in fines, and the Obama administration had no comment, so U.S. press ignored the verdict totally. But this verdict was the only official U.S. court ruling thus far about state sponsorship of the 9-11 attacks. 16 years after the event, it was therefore huge news on 9 March 2016, creating a precedent for the U.S. government to allege that Iran had caused the 9-11 attacks and consequently is the number one terrorist attack, as Israelis have long claimed, but it received very little coverage at the time. And of course, as I shall explain, is provably false. Uh, Not only Iran, not the leading terrorist nation in the world, but those accusing it, are playing a far more profound role uh, in relation to terrorism around the world. And specifically on 9-11, remember, 15 of the 19 purported uh, hijackers were from Saudi Arabia. The number from Iran, or from Iraq for that matter, was zero. Iran has not launched a war of aggression against any other nation since 1775. 1775. Uh, That is, of course, before the ratification of the Constitution began in 1787, before the election of George Washington to be the first president of the United States in 1789, which means that for longer than the United States has existed as a constitutional republic, Iran has not attacked any other nation. I did, uh, last week, uh, a a two hour interview with Brian Rue, R U H E, H E nine who is responsible and why, Jim Fetzer, PhD. Jim Fetzer gives a great, thorough slideshow presentation on 9 11 with a host, Brian Rue. He explains the no planes evidence with close up photos of the ghost holographic plane at 107 going into the building instead of breaking up on the outside, according to the laws of physics, but much, much more. Not only do I go through all the evidence that for what is called no-planes theory, meaning that uh, uh, none of those four planes crashed as advertised, that flight 11 didn't hit the, the North Tower, flight 77 didn't hit the Pentagon, flight 93 didn't crash in Shanksville, flight 175 didn't hit the South Tower, where I lay out the evidence, including that Bureau of Transportation statistics records show that flights 11 North Tower, and 77 Pentagon were not even scheduled to fly that day, and that pilots for 9-11 Truth have been able to establish, based on air-ground communication, that Flight 93 Shanksville was over Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, long after it had allegedly crashed in Pennsylvania, and that Flight 175 was over Harrisburg and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, long after it had purportedly hit the South Tower, how the responsibility devolves around, upon the CIA, the neocons, and the Department of Defense, and the Mossad, where I have now run across an interview with Bibi Netanyahu, uh, two days after 9-11 on NBC, Benjamin Netanyahu interview NBC nine thirteen. You can find it online. Attack on America, where he's he's going after uh, he, he is go- going after the Palestinians. The, the Palestinians and in and, and, uh, uh, Iran, I mean it's simply insane what we have here going on. Iran had absolutely nothing to do with any oh, forgive me, the Palestinians and Osama bin Laden. but Osama bin Laden had absolutely nothing to do with it. When he was first asked, he explained he had nothing to do with it that it, that it was contrary to the tenets of the Koran to murder innocent women and children but that there appeared to be a government within the government that wanted to blame this on Muslims. As I've reported elsewhere, Osama was our man in Afghanistan. He was Colonel Tim Osman in the CIA, was responsible for getting the Stinger missiles into the hands of the Mujahideen, who used them to drive the Soviet Union out of Afghanistan. To me, it's simply stunning what's gone on here. I mentioned, too, a brilliant article by Thierry Misson, originally published 19 April 2002, who is behind the September 11th attacks, where he goes through the evidence in relation to the Pentagon that is conclusive uh, that, you know, no plane actually crashed there, which I explain in detail in mine. And, of course, if you want more, you can find it at moonrockbooks.com, America nuked on 9-11, where we have... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen 9, ten, 11, 12, 13. 14 contributors to America nuked on 9/11. A powerful indictment. Check it out. Americans entitled to know the truth about their own history. I've been devoting myself to bringing together the best experts on these different subjects so you will have it available to you in a semi-permanent format. Check out moonrockbooks.com. You just might find something there you don't want to pass up. This is a Conspiracy Guy. Thank you all for listening.